Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 104 of the show, and it is another good episode for you. A lot of stuff to get into uh, we had just a shocking weekend in the football world, both in the NFL and in college football. Two very different reasons. We'll get into all of that and get you caught up there in both of those. Now we'll do a standings update in the National Hockey League and the NBA. And then the PGA Tour returns to action this week, so we'll preview this weekend's tournament. And then, of course, the Around the Islands segment has uh, plenty of news and info there, but we are going to start off, and how can we not, right, uh, in the National Football League, we are through 17 weeks uh, of the NFL season. Uh, I would normally say that every team has played 16 games, uh, but that is just not the case. There are two teams that have only played 15, and we'll get into that in a second, but this is the final week of the NFL's regular season uh, this weekend. It's week 18. Before week 17 started this past week, uh, I think it was right after last week's episode dropped, the Las Vegas Raiders came out and announced that they were benching quarterback Derek Carr and replacing him with Jarrett Stidham. All right, now, Jarrett Stidham had only thrown 61 passes in the NFL uh, going into week 17. Uh, and the main reason was because the Raiders have vastly underperformed, especially after acquiring uh, Devontae Adams in the offseason and hooking him up with his college teammate, Derek Carr. Those two have been certainly worth the price of admission, but Derek Carr, going into Week 17, led the NFL with um, uh, 14 interceptions. Um, So that's not what you want to see there. Uh, But interestingly enough, Jarrett Stidham, for the Raiders, took that uh, game this week against San Francisco into overtime, ended up losing to the Niners, but... Uh, nonetheless, still a very good game, competitive game. Kind of makes you wonder if, if Derek Carr was playing, if they would have made it to overtime or if they would have won. Uh, but it does appear that Derek Carr uh, may be shopped in the offseason. He does have a full no-trade clause on there uh, on that contract, so he'd have to waive that. But that is – talk about a, a complete uh, 180 there from – you know I know the Raiders are struggling. It's not all Derek Carr's fault. Uh, certainly has some culpability, but not um, <clears throat> to the point where you would, I guess, want to bench him. I mean, I guess that's what the Raiders did, but uh, it makes you wonder what else, too, like with Devontae Adams. I mean, he, he went to Vegas because Carr was there, and uh, both of them played in Fresno, uh, Fresno State in college, and so uh, he's more of a, of a West Coast guy, and so I don't know what that means for the Raiders, but uh, they're going to have a high draft pick and would not be shocked to see him uh, use it, um, you know, 
potentially on a quarterback if they trade Carr. We'll, we'll see on that. Keep an eye on that. The Sunday night football game this past week it was just another wild finish uh, in a Steelers game that seems to be the new norm for Pittsburgh, uh, playing crazy games that come down to the wire. This one uh, uh, yielded yet another Pittsburgh win in the last minute. Uh, rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett uh, found Najee Harris for a 10-yard touchdown pass. Terrific play. Scrambled to get out of there. Found Harris and uh, gave the Steelers the, the lead with a minute left. They hung on to it and beat the Baltimore Ravens. Just a huge win for Pittsburgh to keep their playoff hopes alive. And then um, we get to Monday Night Football. Okay, And uh, that featured the Buffalo Bills traveling to Cincinnati to play the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, that was on paper. It was going to be the best game of the year, one of the best games of the year. Uh, you got two, uh, number two and number three seed in the AFC playing each other uh, with a, a spot to inch closer to Kansas City to try and, and get uh, home field advantage. I mean, the implications for this game were just absolutely enormous. We get about, uh, what is it, eight and a half, nine and a half minutes in to the first quarter, a little more than halfway through the first quarter. Uh, Cincinnati was up seven to three. Uh, Joe Burrow hit T. Higgins for a pass over the middle. Higgins gets hit by Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin. Hamlin gets up and then immediately collapses backwards. Medical personnel rush over there. We come to find out that they performed uh, CPR for nine minutes, used an AED to revive him and resuscitate him. And we come to find out now uh, that DeMar Hamlin had a cardiac arrest event. All right, so his heart stopped, went out of rhythm, and um, needed to have life-saving measures performed. He was transported to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, uh, where he is still currently there, uh, listed in critical condition. There have not been much updates since this incident. Uh, we're still within 24 hours after uh, that event happened on Monday night um, as of this recording. So uh, all I can tell you right now, um, you know, by the time you hear this, there may be another update that says, uh, one, one, one way or another, what happened to him, but he is, uh, he is alive. He's critical. Um, he's in ICU and, uh, prayers go out to DeMar Hamlin and his family. Uh, just a horrific scene there. Uh, I was watching the game live on TV as I'm sure some of you were as well. If you weren't, I'm sure you've seen it by now. Um, just a horrific thing to watch. And, um, yeah, that, uh, the NFL ended up uh, postponing the game, so it did not get finished, which is why uh, Buffalo and, and Cincinnati both are the only two teams in the NFL that have not played 16 games yet. They both have played 15. That'll bring us right up into uh, the playoff picture as we take a look at that, and we will start in the AFC. The top overall seed at the moment is the Kansas City Chiefs at 13-3, and right, playing really good football. Quarterback Patrick Mahomes this past weekend, he joined Tom Brady and Drew Brees as the only quarterbacks in NFL history to pass for 5,000 yards in multiple seasons. And then uh, running back Jarek McKinnon, he became the first running back in the Super Bowl era to have a receiving touchdown in five straight games. All right, so Mahomes has kind of latched on to McKinnon as a favorite target here lately, and it's got them sitting in first place in the AFC. The Buffalo Bills are second at 12 and 3. They have um, uh, the Chiefs have officially won the AFC West. The Bills have officially won the AFC East. They're sitting there 12 and 3, number 2 seed currently, only playing 15 games. 
Um, you know, I, I don't know what the rest of the season holds for um, the Bills, you know, depending on, I guess, what happens with uh, their teammate, DeMar Hamlin. And then uh, the three seed in the AFC is the Cincinnati Bengals. They're 11-4. and four. That's why this game was so important. Just the implications were so huge for this game. And, um, you know, I, <clears throat> the NFL's d- said they're not uh, resuming the game this week. All right, so the Week 18 schedule remains unchanged, which, you know, is problematic because that game needs to be played for multiple reasons, but... Um, at some point before the playoffs start. I don't know that you can accurately uh, – I mean, the Bills, they win that game against Cincy, and they're in first place in the AFC because they beat Kansas City earlier this year. All right, so uh, Cincinnati, if they win that game, it moves them one win closer to Kansas City in that top overall spot. So uh, just a massive uh, implications there in that game. <clears throat> and um, the NFL said they're not really sure – if or when it will be resumed. So uh, keep an eye on that. The fourth seed in the AFC currently is the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're 8-8, eight and eight, but they are first place in the AFC South. Okay, the only reason they're fourth is because they're the uh, lowest record, uh, worst record of the division leaders at the moment. Um, so they're currently fourth. Fifth seed currently, they have not clinched a playoff spot yet. I'll, more on them in a second. Fifth seed in the AFC is the Los Angeles Chargers. They had a big win this week to get up to 10-6. and six. They have officially clinched a playoff spot. The sixth seed in the AFC is the Baltimore Ravens. They are 10-6. and six. They lost that game to Pittsburgh on Sunday night, uh, but they have clinched a playoff spot, and they're just, uh, a, as it sits now, a game behind, or I guess a half a game behind Cincinnati for the AFC North. Um, but those, um, you know, that's why I'm saying I don't know how you can, you know, accurately give a division winner there because Cincinnati has a better record. They just have one fewer game played. So that will be interesting to see. The seventh seed currently is the New England Patriots. All right. They're the final team in the playoffs at the moment. They're eight and eight. They had a huge win over the Miami Dolphins this past week. Uh, Dolphins, with that loss against New England, got bumped to the eight seed, which is the first team out of the playoffs. They're eight and eight as well. And then the ninth, uh, ninth seed in the AFC is the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're eight and eight as well. Okay, that uh, huge, huge win on Sunday night against Baltimore got them to where they now, um, you know, have potential to make the playoffs here with one game left. <clears throat> and then the, um, only other team that's mathematically in the playoffs in the AFC is the Tennessee Titans. They're 7-9. and nine. Now, the only reason that they're in the playoffs is because uh, they play in the AFC South and their Week 18 game is against the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right, So whoever wins that game this week between Jacksonville and Tennessee will win the AFC South and they will be in the playoffs. All right, So as it sits now, we entered Week 17 with five teams having clinched playoff berths. That was Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Los Angeles, and Baltimore. And those are still the only five teams uh, that have clinched a playoff spot at this moment. There's still two playoff spots remaining in the AFC, one of which will be the AFC South division winner in that game this weekend, and the other will be the final wild card spot between uh, New England, Miami, or Pittsburgh, probably. <clears throat> but you flip it over to the NFC, all right, last week, uh, there were 
four teams in the NFC that had clinched a playoff spot. That was Philly, uh, San Francisco, Minnesota, and Dallas. This week, we've added two more teams into that playoff mix for a total of six clinched spots right now as it sits with only one spot remaining as we enter the final week of the season. First place in the NFC at the moment is the Philadelphia Eagles. They're 13-3. and They're on a two-game losing streak here. They lost to New Orleans this past week. All right, um, huge win by the Saints uh, for the Cowboys' purposes. Uh, but Eagles are 13-3. and Second seed in the uh, NFC is the San Francisco 49ers. They're 12-4. and They're on a nine-game winning streak, which is their longest since 1997. All right, they have won uh, the NFC West with that nine-game winning streak. Brock Purdy continues to just win games, all right? And so there's San Francisco there at number two. They've overtaken the Minnesota Vikings, who are the three seed. Uh, Just an ugly, horrible beatdown loss to the Green Bay Packers this past week. Minnesota's 12-4. and They've clinched the NFC North, so they're in the playoffs as a top-four seed. And then the fourth seed currently is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's one of the new teams to clinch this past week. They have won the NFC South. We knew somebody was going to win it. We assumed it was Tampa, and Tampa did. Now, the Buccaneers are only 8-8, eight and eight, all right, with one game left, but they have clinched the NFC South, so they, will, uh, they are locked into that four seed, uh, Tampa Bay is. So Buccaneers will host a playoff game. The fifth seed in the NFC is the Dallas Cowboys. All right, my beloved Cowboys are 12 and 4. All right, they uh, won in Tennessee this week. They've already clinched a playoff spot. We knew that, but now they're only one game out from winning the NFC East. All right, so if they beat Washington this week and Philly loses uh, to the New York Giants, then the Dallas Cowboys are the NFC East champions, which would be something because they've been chasing Philly all year. So that would be really, really neat. Uh, This is the first time that the Cowboys have had back-to-back seasons of 12-plus wins since that span between 1992 and 1995 when they were Super Bowl champions. So just throwing that out there. I'm not saying Dallas is going to win the Super Bowl, but I am saying that uh, last time the Cowboys have done this over a two-year span, uh, they were Super Bowl champions. And then the sixth seed in the NFC right now is the New York Giants. They have clinched a playoff spot. They're the second Uh, new team to clinch a spot this week. Them and Tampa Bay got added to the playoff mix officially. The Giants are 9-6-1. All right, they are are locked into that uh, sixth seed with that tie. All right, this is the first time the Giants have made the playoffs since 2016. All right, so that means there's only one spot left in the NFC for the playoffs. All right, currently in that seven spot is the Seattle Seahawks. They're eight and eight, all right, but they are getting chased down heavily by the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers, who are also both eight and eight, okay? Um, the Seahawks uh, are, are really, uh, their chances are, are kind of bleak at the moment, all right? Uh, the Packers and the Lions play each other, and if Green Bay beats Detroit this week at Lambeau, then the Packers will end up in that seven seed. But uh, the seven seed is going to be one of either Seattle, Detroit, or Green Bay. All right, so we don't know who out of those three will get it right now. Seattle's in there, uh, but that could change 
probably will change this week. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers, yet again, is somehow going to find a way to sneak into the playoffs. All right. So, um, yeah, so that's that's how the playoff picture looks uh, in the NFC. It's it's, you know, a little more clear than the AFC. AFC is a little more muddy just because we don't even have um, the divisions clinched yet and that uh, we still have, uh, you know, AFC South is, is still kind of anybody's winner-take-all game. And then you have three other teams that are uh, in the wild-card mix there. So, yeah, like I said, through 17 weeks, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll see reports continuing to develop on the status of DeMar Hamlin and uh, what the NFL plans on doing uh, with that Bills-Bengals game that's so vitally important to the AFC playoff picture. And, um, yeah, we'll just, uh, you know, between now and, and next week's episode, we'll, we'll keep praying for DeMar Hamlin, his family, and, uh, and that he makes a, a recovery and, and is able to uh, come through here uh, in the coming days. Uh, but that brings us to college football, which had – some shocking news in its own right uh, for a totally different reason. Uh, we have officially concluded college football's bowl season. The only game remaining to be played is the national championship game, and we'll get to the college football playoff recaps and uh, preview the national title here in just a little bit. But I do want to get you caught up on the bowl games that we've had since last week's episode. And as I was recording last week's episode, uh, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, it was Tuesday, December 27th, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl was being played, and it was almost over. Uh, Wisconsin was up on Oklahoma State. They ended up holding that lead. Uh, Wisconsin won 24-17 to to win the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. The next day on Wednesday, December 28th, we had four... Uh, pretty good bowl games that started with the Military Bowl. That was uh, in Annapolis, Maryland there. Featured Duke and Central Florida. Uh, Duke got on them early and often and was able to hold on for a 30-13 to victory. The mid-afternoon game was the Liberty Bowl featuring Arkansas and Kansas. And this thing was just an absolute gong show of a game. Uh, went into triple overtime. Kansas was down by, um, I don't remember the number. I want It was like 18 points, I think, in the second half and ended up coming back to tie it. Uh, went into overtime. They traded blows in overtime. And then finally in the third overtime, uh, Arkansas came out on top 55 to 53. So just an incredible game. Um, I just, I was glued to it. I was trying to get something done. Uh, but kept having to watch this game because it just uh, it just kept drawing you in. Just a phenomenal game there. But Arkansas won the Liberty Bowl. Holiday Bowl was going on uh, around the same time. Overtime was going down in that Liberty Bowl. It was uh, Oregon versus North Carolina. That was at Petco Park in San Diego. And um, this one... Uh, North Carolina hung tough. Uh, Oregon was a heavy favorite in this thing. I think it was like 13.5-point favorite <clears throat> coming into the week. And uh, uh, Oregon ended up winning 28-27 thanks to a, a go-ahead touchdown with uh, about a minute or so left. And um, they were able to hold North Carolina. It came down to the last play. 
Uh, Drake May led the Tar Heels down the field there to attempt to get close enough for a field goal. They weren't able to do it, um, <clears throat> but ran out, ran into some clock issues. But Oregon hung on for that. They came back and won and then held on to their butts there in that last minute uh, to win 28-27, just another phenomenal game. And then the Texas Bowl was Texas Tech versus Ole Miss. Um, that was at Energy Stadium in Houston. Uh, so I guess you could say it's a home game for Texas Tech by default since it's in Texas. But Ole Miss was heavily favored, but Texas Tech came out, uh, got a couple of early interceptions, capitalized on those, and never looked back. Texas Tech shocked Ole Miss 42-25. We fast forward to Thursday, December 29th, started with the Pinstripe Bowl. That was Minnesota and Syracuse. That one was played at Yankee Stadium there in the Bronx. Uh, Minnesota took care of business there, 28-20. to 20. Uh, That brought P.J. Fleck, the head coach of Minnesota. His bowl record is now 5-0 and with the Golden Gophers, so uh, pretty successful coach uh, in the bowl games. Then we had the Cheez-It Bowl featuring Florida State and Oklahoma. Uh, this one was a good game, too. Uh, you knew uh, just by looking at the matchup, you knew it probably would be. Uh, it was in Orlando, Florida, so it was uh, kind of a home game for Florida State. Uh, Florida State did end up winning 35-32. They kicked a field goal with a couple minutes left to take the lead and were able to hang on there in that last couple minutes to win. And then the nightcap was the Alamo Bowl at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. It was Washington versus Texas. Uh, my Longhorns uh, didn't have three of their best players. Uh, both of their star running backs and uh, their star linebacker were out. And uh, Washington... Uh, was basically fully staffed, and uh, they were able to to win 27-20. to 20. Texas did uh, hang tough there, got a couple, uh, scored 10, 10 points in that fourth quarter to make it interesting, uh, but they had been down um, by 17, I believe, at one point, and it was just too much for them to overcome. So Washington is your Alamo Bowl winner. On Friday, December 30th, we had five bowl games. The Dukes-Mayo Bowl, this one uh, was Maryland versus North Carolina State. The game was in Charlotte, so more of a home game for NC State. And this was a field goal fest. Uh, it was difficult to watch, uh, but Maryland ended up winning 16-12. to The Sun Bowl featured Pitt and UCLA. UCLA was uh, heavily favored in this thing, and Pitt kicked a game-winning field goal as time expired to beat UCLA 37-35, so just another phenomenal bowl game. The Gator Bowl, which was in Jacksonville at TIAA Bank Field, uh, was Notre Dame and South Carolina. This game, again, on paper, when you looked at it, was one of the more difficult games to project uh, on how it would finish. But Notre Dame ended up uh, getting a a touchdown with a couple minutes left to go ahead 45-38 in South Carolina wasn't able to complete the comeback, so the Fighting Irish take the Gator Bowl. Arizona Bowl featured Ohio and Wyoming. This, uh, not really flashy on paper, but it turned out to be a pretty damn good game. Went into overtime, and in overtime, Ohio won uh, with a field goal, 30-27. to Then you got to the first of the New Year's Six Bowl games, which was the Orange Bowl, featured Tennessee and Clemson. Uh, again, super close game on paper, very close line on this one. This was Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Uh, 
And Tennessee just came out dominating, um, even without Hendon Hooker. Joe Milton looked like Hendon Hooker did all year for the Volunteers, and they were able to uh, demolish Clemson 31-14. That was probably one of the more shocking results. Uh, Not that Tennessee won, but the manner in which they won. The game was never – I mean, it was technically close at halftime and a little bit into the third quarter – but if you watch the game, you knew Clemson just wasn't going to win at, like at any point in that game uh, because Tennessee was just taking it to them. All right, so Saturday, December 31st, of course we had the two college football playoff games, which we'll get to in a minute, but there were also two other games. Uh, the one uh, that were being played simultaneously it was the Music City Bowl in Nashville featured Iowa and Kentucky. These two teams actually had met last year in a bowl game. Uh, but Iowa came out on top in this one, just stifling defense. 21 nothing was the final there. And then the Sugar Bowl, uh, that was at uh, Caesars Superdome in New Orleans there, featured Alabama and Kansas State. Uh, Bryce Young and Will Anderson both played in the game for Alabama. Bryce Young threw five touchdowns, and uh, just absolutely the, the Crimson Tide just pummeled uh, Kansas State 45-20. to and in that game, Kansas State running back Deuce Vaughn, he had an 88-yard touchdown run in, the, I think it was the first quarter, maybe second quarter, and uh, Kansas State was up 10 nothing at one point in this game. And that 88-yard touchdown run was the longest touchdown run against Nick Saban Alabama team ever. So uh, pretty impressive stuff there. And then it went from 10 nothing Kansas State to a final of 45-20 to uh, Alabama. So just, um, <clears throat> you know... It completely uh, the t- flipped the tide, we'll say. All right, and then uh, on we didn't have any games on New Year's Day, and then Monday, January second, we had uh, the Re- uh, Relia Quest Bowl featured Mississippi State and Illinois is the first game for the Bulldogs since Mike Leach's passing, and they went out there and won for them, nineteen to ten. Citrus Bowl, LSU and Purdue. LSU uh, won by almost 100. Uh, it was 63-7 to was the final. Uh, just an ugly, ugly game there. Cotton Bowl Classic. This game was absolutely spectacular. It was USC versus Tulane. It was here in Arlington, Texas at AT&T Stadium. Uh, Tulane, they got down by 16 points. Um and late in the in the fourth quarter with like four minutes left. They scored a touchdown, kicked the extra point. They were down by eight. On the ensuing kickoff, USC's kick returner muffed the kick, and it rolled out of bounds at the one-yard line. USC ran two plays and then got uh, tackled in the end zone for a safety. So Tulane was able to get a safety to bring the lead um, from eight down to six. And on that ensuing possession, uh, Tulane ran uh, – Ran the old two-minute drill, went down the field. I think it was technically maybe three minutes, the drive. But they scored a touchdown uh, with eight seconds left. Uh, kicked the extra point to take a one-point victory there in that one, 46-45. Uh, to 45. Uh, Just an insane season for Tulane. Last year, Tulane's record was 2-10. and 10. This year, they finished 12-2, and two, finished as a top 16-ranked team coming into the bowl games, and then they won the Cotton Bowl. They beat USC. All right. That uh, turnaround is the largest record turnaround in FBS history from 2-10 and 10 to 12-2. and 10-win difference. All right. Um, just insane. And then, oddly enough, on the other side, USC head coach Lincoln Riley. This was his first year as USC's head coach, but 
Uh, he's been a head coach since 2017, and in that time span, Lincoln Riley has now lost uh, six games when trailing by or when leading by at least 14 points. All right, so six times in five years, Lincoln Riley has lost a lead of at least 14 points and lost the game in that, which is the most such losses by anyone uh, in that time span. So, you know, Lincoln Riley is a great coach, great offensive mind, has produced three different Heisman Trophy winners in his five years as head coach. But, um, you know, if you get a 14, if he gets a 14 point lead on you, you're still in the game basically is what I'm trying to say. So after the Cotton Bowl, we had the granddaddy of them all. That's the Rose Bowl, featured Penn State and Utah. This game was really good in the first half. It was tied at 14 at halftime, uh, trading punches there in the third quarter, and then uh, Utah quarterback Cam Rising got hurt, ended up having to leave the game for good, and that is all she wrote for the Utes because Penn State, uh, they ended up taking it to them, winning the game 35-21. to all right, and uh, kind of a bummer there for uh, the Utes. And that brings us to the playoff games, all right? We did have two playoff games on uh, Saturday, December 31st, New Year's Eve. The first one we saw was the uh, Verbo Fiesta Bowl, all right? That was um, <clears throat> between uh, TCU and Michigan, all right? TCU came in number three. Number two, Michigan. That was at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. And uh, Michigan was favored by seven and a half. And uh, TCU came out flying, had an early pick six, and really just got things going. Quarterback Max Duggan had four touchdowns, two rushing, two passing. And uh, TCU's defense was able to hold up and keep J.J. McCarthy and uh, Donovan Edwards in enough check to win the game. So the Horn Frogs... Beat the Wolverines 51-45 to in just an absolute uh, scoring fest. Offensive plays all over the field. Um, just some huge plays. So TCU won the Fiesta Bowl. The nightcap on New Year's Eve was the Peach Bowl. That was at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Featured number one Georgia against number four Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State uh, got up by a couple of scores on Georgia uh, then Georgia turned it on, ended up coming back. They traded some scores late. Um, Georgia was up 42-41 on Ohio State as Ohio State took the ball down the field uh, with under a minute left, got into field goal range, and uh, as the clock struck midnight there in the eastern time zone, uh, Ohio State kicker Noah Ruggles missed a field goal attempt to give Ohio State the lead um, and he missed it, so Georgia was able to win the game. Uh, they just needed to kneel out the next play, run the timeout, and Georgia is your winner, 42-41 to 41, um, in that game. They earned it. I mean, they got down by a lot, came back, got the lead, and then um, forced a missed field goal, and uh, that's really that's all you can ask for. Uh, just an incredible game. And when I say the clock struck midnight, literally – it was like midnight on the dot, like the ball dropped everything like right at the time that Noah Ruggles missed that um, missed that field goal. So that was just uh, a crazy thing to see. Uh, but that brings us to the national championship game, which is this upcoming Monday, January 9th. 
It is at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, home of the Rams and the Chargers. It features the number one team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs, against the number three team in the country, the TCU Horned Frogs. All right, the uh, Georgia Bulldogs, they are the undefeated SEC champs, all right, undefeated this season. Um, They went undefeated last year. They have not lost a game since the 2020 season. They enter this game as 12.5-point favorites over the Horned Frogs, which is just a massive line for a national title game. Uh, Georgia is looking to become the first back-to-back national champion since Alabama did it in 2011 and 2012. All right, and uh, in the last two years, between last year's undefeated season and this year's undefeated season, they have tied um, the mid-2010s Alabama team for uh, the most wins in a two-season span at 28. All right, they have NFL talent all over the field, uh, particularly on the defensive side of the football, which is going to make it very tough for TCU to Move the ball, all right. But TCU, uh, they enter this thing. They finished the year twelve and one. They lost. Their only loss was in the Big Twelve championship game to Kansas State. Ironically enough, uh, but then you know, of course, they just beat Michigan. Nobody thought they would, and they did. Nobody really expected TCU to do anything in the playoffs, and and here they they shocked the world with the the win against Michigan, and and they're literally in the national championship game. All right, and. Um, that's great for the Big 12, great for, for TCU, and um, TCU is looking to become the first team to be unranked in the preseason AP poll and win the national championship since Georgia Tech in 1990, all right? Uh, literally started the year not ranked, and here they are, um, you know, in the national title game. Uh, some key players. For the TCU Horn Frogs, it's quarterback Max Duggan, right? He was the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy, had four touchdowns in the first playoff game, led the Big 12 in passing yards, passing touchdowns, and he's just one of the toughest players in the country. And then you have Quentin Johnston, wide receiver. Uh, he's 6'4", 220 pounds. Uh, he had a 76-yard touchdown catch against Michigan, was the longest uh, touchdown reception Michigan had allowed since 2019. He's going to be a very high first-round NFL draft pick, and so he's going to match up nicely with um, those defensive players there on Georgia. And then on the Georgia side of the football, of course, you have quarterback Stetson Bennett. He is, you know, uh, he's been really, really well. This He was a Heisman finalist uh, for the for this season, second straight national title game here, um, just has uh, complete poise and confidence, and uh, he's more elusive on the ground than one would think. And then on the defensive side for Georgia, it's Jalen Carter, defensive tackle, uh, very likely going to be a top three overall pick in the NFL draft. Uh, Keely Ringo, massive corner, it was six two, two ten as a corner. It's that's big. And uh, he'll be a first-round pick as well. So it's, you, I mean, it's you're gonna have, uh, you're gonna have talent all over the field. Um, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Quentin Johnson Johnston can can get open if he can get open against that Georgia defense. But um, 
What a great matchup. I mean, you wouldn't think – you look at it on paper, you're like, oh, God, Georgia versus TCU, Georgia's going to win by 50, you know. And then you remember what TCU's done all year uh, and what they did against Michigan, right? TCU has predominantly been a second-half team for much of the season, most of the season. But they, they were a, a two-half team against Michigan, and they won the game, all right? They played really well in the first half, had the lead at halftime, and came out and finished the job in the second half. Normally, their script is, is reversed. Um, they, they're losing in the first half, come out, take the lead, win in the second half. Georgia's just been so dominant all year that, uh, you know, it, it's just going to be difficult for TCU to move the football as effectively as they want. All right, I certainly uh, wouldn't expect, um, you know, a huge point total like we saw in both college football playoff games, all right? I mean, we had a hundred and... 179 points scored between both playoff games last weekend. So uh, I don't think that I'd uh, count on seeing a, a 40 to 40 game in this one. Um, but you never know. I mean, both, you know, I think TCU's offense is probably a bit better. And I don't know if Kendra Miller is going to play. I think he, he hurt his knee in that playoff game. So it might be Amari Di Mercado at running back for TCU instead of Kendra Miller. But uh, that would kind of hurt them a little bit. But, um, you know, Georgia's favored heavily, heavily. I would be shocked if TCU won. I mean, I'm rooting. If you're asking me who I'm rooting for, I'm rooting for TCU to win. I think it would be incredible, all right? And uh, I want to see TCU win. But who do I think is going to win? I think it's Georgia. I want to say it's probably, you know, 37 to 24, 34 to 24, something in that in that. Uh, in that realm of, of scores, I think, is, is what we're going to look at. But uh, my my official prediction for the college football national championship game is that Georgia does beat TCU. But either way, uh, next week's episode, we will have crowned uh, the winner of this game and have a new national champion in college football. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League and do a standings update here in the NHL. Before we get to that, though, we did have uh, this past weekend, the holiday weekend, uh, the 2023 NHL Winter Classic. That was played this past Monday, January 2nd. Uh, it was at Fenway Park in Boston. It was the second time that Fenway Park has hosted the Winter Classic. It was the Boston Bruins against the Pittsburgh Penguins. It was the you know the annual outdoor game there at Fenway Park. Sellout crowd of 39,243 were on hand to watch it. Pretty good game, uh, low scoring. We didn't have any scoring in the first period. Second period, Pittsburgh got on the board first. Kasperi Kapanen gave the Pens the lead with about eight uh, at the 840 mark of the second period. Uh, that was it for the second period. Third period, couple of Boston goals uh, scored by Jacob DeBrusque. His first one was at the 746 mark of the third period and then uh, scored the game winner at the 1736 mark, just about two and a half minutes left in the game to give Boston the 2-1 to victory in front of their home crowd there at Fenway Park. Pretty cool scene. You know, it's getting a little old seeing the Penguins in the uh, in the Winter Classic. Uh, I know the past couple years uh, it's it's been in the Western Conference. I think last year was Minnesota and St. Louis. Year before that, um, you know, Dallas hosted it a couple years ago. Uh, we played Nashville in that one. So, uh, you know, it's been in the Western Conference for a little bit. Um, but it's just you know Pittsburgh always seems to get the invite. But 
uh, I digress. Uh, the standings update, most teams have played uh, between 38 to 40 games or so. All right, so we're, we are approaching the halfway point. I think next episode we'll officially cross the halfway point for most teams. Uh, but we're right around the halfway point, so we'll just do the standings uh, as they sit now. In the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division, Carolina Hurricanes are up top there uh, with 56 points. Uh, they've won nine out of their last 10, playing really good hockey. New Jersey Devils are second with 49 points. Uh, they've only won twice in their last 10. They're they're going in the opposite direction. New York Rangers have jumped up to third in the Metro with 48 points. They're tied with the Washington Capitals at 48 points, who currently sit fourth. Uh, both of those teams have won seven out of their last 10. The New York Islanders are fifth with 46 points. Pittsburgh Penguins are sixth with 44 points. Philadelphia Flyers are seventh with 35 points. They're on a three-game winning streak. And then last in the Metro is the Columbus Blue Jackets with 24 points. They have only won twice in their last 10 games. Over in the Atlantic Division, the Boston Bruins just continue to dominate so far this year, <clears throat> fresh off of their Winter Classic victory. Uh, they're 29-4-4. Four four. Uh, they have 62 points, which paces the NHL. They're 19-0-3 at home. They've literally only lost three out of their first 22 games at home, all of which have been in either overtime or a shootout. Um, certainly the odds-on favorite at the moment to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, but there sits Boston. Second in the Atlantic Division, the Toronto Maple Leafs with 53 points. Their record is really good, but they're still nine points back of Boston, which just tells you how dominant Boston has been this year. Toronto Maple Leafs captain Austin Matthews, uh, or assistant captain, I believe, uh, he became the fastest player in Toronto Maple Leafs franchise history to amass 500 uh, career points. He did so the other night. Uh, that's for players that have, were drafted uh, by Toronto. All right, so uh, Matthews is at 500 career points. Tampa Bay Lightning are third in the Atlantic with 49 points. Uh, they've won four in a row, eight out of their last ten. Fourth place is the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, they have 40 points. All right. They still, uh, to this minute, I've mentioned this, this the last several um, episodes, they have the most goals scored in the entire NHL as a team with 143 as it sits right now. Uh, they've gotten some company, though. Uh, Boston's gaining some ground on them. They're very close. The Dallas Stars are right up there, and so, too, are the Edmonton Oilers. L.A. Kings, and uh, Vegas Golden Knights, all right? In fact, uh, they're all within striking distance there to uh, pass Buffalo. But as it sits now, Buffalo's the four spot in the Atlantic with 40 points. Cool thing about Buffalo, um, their first game the other night uh, after the DeMar Hamlin incident on Monday Night Football, uh, their first game uh, was against the Washington Capitals, all right? And uh, they all, the whole team arrived to the arena wearing uh, white T-shirts that had the inscription Love for Three, obviously meaning DeMar Hamlin, that is his number, is three. And uh, that game was on January 3rd, okay? Tage Thompson, Buffalo Sabres forward, having a remarkable season, had a hat trick in that one, all right? And so I'm just going to kind of read this uh, this graphic, all right? So... 
Uh, on January 3rd, Tage Thompson scored his third goal of the game exactly three minutes into three-on-three overtime for his 30th goal of the season and third hat trick of the season. All right, just a remarkable stat um, for, you know, them showing up wearing T-shirts with the number three on them for DeMar Hamlin. So, I mean, that's just the kind of stuff you can't make up. So um, I just thought that was certainly relevant given um, this episode. Uh, But fifth place in the Atlantic Division, the Detroit Red Wings, they got 39 points. They've kind of slid back a tad. Uh, They've only won three times in their last 10. The Ottawa Senators are sixth with 39 points. Florida Panthers are seventh with 38 points. Very disappointing season for them. And then last in the Atlantic Division, uh, the Montreal Canadiens with 33 points. They have only won once uh, in their last 10, having lost five games in a row. Uh, but the good news for Montreal is that their young uh, forward who can score with the best of them, Cole Caulfield, he became the third player in Montreal Canadiens franchise history, which is very storied, by the way. He's only the third player uh, with consecutive 20-goal seasons be, uh, before the age of 22. All right, so pretty pretty good company there for uh, Cole Caulfield. Uh, over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, my Dallas Stars are still up top there with 52 points. All right, they've won seven out of their last 10. Uh, still playing some really good hockey. Um, they're never out of a game. No matter how many times I thought they have been, they just continue to fight back and, and score and tie it and whatnot. So uh, Dallas is looking really good this year. Second in the Central, Winnipeg Jets with 49 points. They're on a three-game winning streak. Minnesota Wild are third with 44 points. They've won eight out of their last 10. Certainly have jumped up a bit in the standings over the last couple weeks. Colorado Avalanche are fourth at 41 points. The St. Louis Blues are fifth with 39 points. Nashville Predators sixth with 38 points. Arizona Coyotes seventh with uh, 31 points. And then last in the Central Division, the Chicago Blackhawks, they only have 20 points. Uh, They've lost five in a row, including nine out of their last 10. That 20-point total is the lowest in the entire NHL. Over in the Pacific Division, the Vegas Golden Knights still up top there with 54 points. Right, uh, The LA Kings are closing in. They have 50 points, uh, so just a couple of uh, wins behind them. Kings have won seven out of their last 10. Third place is the Seattle Kraken with 44 points. All right, they uh, uh, at the midway point of the season, they're still in a playoff position, which is uh, very impressive for a second-year franchise. Fourth in the Pacific, Calgary Flames with 43 points. The Edmonton Oilers are fifth with 42 points. Uh, Vancouver Canucks are sixth with 35 points. They've lost three games in a row. San Jose Sharks are seventh with 31 points. And then last in the Pacific Division, second to last in the Western Conference, are the Anaheim Ducks with 24 points. They have only won three times in their last 10 games. But defenseman John Klingberg in two of those victories, uh, two of those three in those last 10 games, he became the second defenseman in Anaheim Ducks history to score a game-winning goal in consecutive games. So uh, interesting stat there. Klingberg is 
former Dallas Stark, went over, signed with Anaheim in free agency, and certainly has kind of led the Anaheim defenseman in scoring there. And uh, for a defenseman to have back-to-back game-winning goals, that's pretty impressive in and by itself. So, uh, like I said, still a lot of hockey left to be played. We're uh, not quite at the halfway point. Should be at the halfway point um, for most teams by next week's episode. Uh, but we'll check back in uh, next week and see how that looks. But we'll move over to the NBA, do a standings update here in the NBA. Uh, most teams have played uh, 38 games or so, so they're pretty much right on course with what the NHL is doing uh, in their season in terms of the number of games that the teams have played, so we're pretty much right there. Uh, Closing in on the halfway point, again, both the NHL and the NBA have a halfway point of 41 games, so as it sits now, most NBA teams are at 38, so again, right there with the NHL. We'll start off in the Eastern Conference. The Boston Celtics are back up top there at 26-12. They're on a two-game losing streak, but they're still uh, playing some really good basketball. Jason Tatum, obviously, still in the MVP conversation solidly. The Milwaukee Bucks are second in the East at 25-13. They have won a couple games in a row. The Brooklyn Nets, all right, they are 25-13, third in the East, They just got done with a 12-game winning streak that was snapped uh, this past week. Uh, So they have um, won 12 out of their last 13 after that game. But they've climbed up to three, which is, I think, we all expected Brooklyn, uh, assuming health and uh, a full lineup there with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, uh, Ben Simmons, that uh, that Brooklyn would be in that top three, so they finally have made it up there. Uh, played, they're they're really doing well at home uh, this year, um, which has helped. You know the the home road splits that we talk about. Fourth in the East, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're twenty five and fourteen. They've won three in a row, seven out of their last ten. And the other night, Donovan Mitchell scored a Cleveland franchise record 71 points in their win, uh, which, like I just mentioned, was a record for the Cleveland Cavaliers franchise. And oddly enough, uh, a day or two after that, he was randomly, quote, randomly drug tested by the NBA. So uh, Cavaliers looking really good this year. Philadelphia 76ers, they're 23-14. and 14. They've won eight out of their last ten, including three in a row. And the New York Knicks are 21-18. and 18. They, too, have also won three in a row. The seventh seed in the East is the Indiana Pacers at 21-18. and 18. Eighth is Miami Heat at 20-18. and 18. They've won seven out of their last ten. They've climbed back up a little bit, made a little movement. Atlanta Hawks are ninth at 17-20. and 20. They've lost four in a row going the wrong way and 10th in the east currently is the Chicago Bulls at 17 and 21. Uh, The first team that is out of the playoffs or play in at the moment is the Washington Wizards at 17 and 22. 12th is the Toronto Raptors at 16 and 22. They have only won three times in their last 10. 13 is the Orlando Magic at 14 and 24. 14th is the Charlotte Hornets at 10 and 29. They have lost three in a row. And then last in the Eastern Conference is the Detroit Pistons at 10 and 30. They have lost 
eight out of their last ten. Over in the Western Conference, the Denver Nuggets and the Memphis Grizzlies are tied for first. Well, Denver's listed as first as it sits now due to tiebreak, but both Denver and Memphis, one and two, they have records of 24 and 13. All right. Denver has won seven out of their last 10. Memphis has won four in a row. So they've both been playing some really good basketball. The New Orleans Pelicans are third in the West at 24 and 14. All right. They're 17 and four at home, which is just outstanding. Uh, and then the hottest team in the entire NBA is fourth place in the Western Conference right now. It is my Dallas Mavericks. They're 22 and 16. They have won uh, eight out of their last 10, including seven in a row. And Luka Doncic continues to just Luka Doncic. Uh, 50 point game, 30 point game. 40-point game, 60-point game, 50-point game. Like, that is what he does. And uh, it has propelled the Mavericks all the way up to the fourth spot in the West. And these are the Mavericks that uh, we envision. Christian Wood has become a big factor as of late. Uh, He's averaging uh, 20 points and eight rebounds a game, I think, so far this year, which is exactly why they went out and acquired him. Um, They needed that uh, rebounding threat that was a true scorer as well. So this is the Mavericks we expected to see. I hope it continues. Mavericks have been very streaky this year, um, alternating wins with losses, finally on a winning streak, and hopefully they can ride it for a a few more. Uh, Fifth in the Western Conference, the Sacramento Kings at 20-16. Sixth is the LA Clippers at 21-18, losers of three in a row at the moment. Seventh place in the West is the Golden State Warriors at 20 and 18. All right, they have won five games in a row. Um, They have been without Steph Curry for a couple of weeks, still playing good basketball. I think Steph Curry is due back. uh, Target date is January 13th, so we're still about a week and a half away from that. Um, The Golden State home road split is still just ridiculous. They're 17 and 2 at home, which is the best in the league. But they're three and sixteen on the road, which is just absolutely horrendous. Um, eighth in the Western Conference, the Portland Trailblazers at nineteen and eighteen. Ninth place in the Western Conference. Now this is very surprising. Uh, is the Phoenix Suns? They're twenty and nineteen. They've lost seven out of their last ten, including four in a row. All right, they were just atop the Western Conference a few weeks ago, and then here they sit now. At ninth, so a uh, terrible fall from grace there for Phoenix. The Utah Jazz, same thing. Uh, they're 19 and 21. We're at the top of the Western Conference about a month ago, or close to it. And here they sit, losers of seven out of their last 10 and five in a row. Minnesota Timberwolves are 11th in the Western Conference at 18 and 21. Los Angeles Lakers, 12th at 16 and 21. The Oklahoma City Thunder are 13th at 16 and 22. 14th in the West, the San Antonio Spurs at 12 and 26. They have lost three in a row, seven out of their last 10. And then the Houston Rockets, 10 and 28. They are dead last in the Western Conference. They've only won once in their last 10 games, and they have lost five in a row. So, Again, a lot of basketball to be played. I think by next week's episode, we should be right around the halfway point, just like the NHL. So um, 
we've seen a lot of movement thus far in the NBA, um, and I expect that to continue as we move forward through the uh, second half of the season. But we'll move over to the PGA Tour and talk about some golf. I know we haven't had an actual PGA Tour event in about a month uh, due to the holidays and whatnot. We have talked about golf. There were a couple of events that we highlighted. We did talk about uh, one tournament, and then we also talked about the match. But uh, this weekend, the PGA Tour returns, uh, resumes its regular season schedule. And the golf tournament this weekend is the Century Tournament of Champions. It is at the Plantation Course in uh, at Kapalua, which is in Maui, Hawaii. It's a par 73, right? Distance 7,596 yards. So it's a pretty long course, beautiful course. Uh, it's, it's obviously, it's in Hawaii, so it's Oceanside, all right? It is the 25th year that this course has hosted the Century Tournament of Champions. We got some amazing ocean views, uh, some massive elevation changes to go along with that, which ties into why it's it's such a beautiful course. Uh, but the main issue at the plantation course is the wind. All right, if the wind is really blowing, uh, scoring is going to be at a premium in this thing. Uh, but if the wind is non-existent, like we saw last year, then we're going to see. Uh, some very low scores. It's very gettable, all right, especially being at that par 73. It is the only par 73 on the PGA Tour, all right, so that gives them an extra shot, basically. Um, normally, we see par 72s, par 71s, and par 70s, so par 73 gives you a little more wiggle room for air, but if there's no wind uh, to adjust for, then you can certainly get after it. Uh, the field for this thing is absolutely incredible. Uh, it's only a field of 39 players, uh, but it's going to feature 17 out of the top 20 players in the official World Golf Rankings. All right, some of the names that will be out there, Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, John Rahm, Xander Shoffley, Will Zalatoris, Justin Thomas, Victor Hovland, and Colin Morikawa, just to name a few. Field's also going to have nine out of the top ten players in the current uh, FedEx Cup standings. All right, the only player whose name appears in the top ten of the FedEx Cup so far this year that is also inside the top 20 of the official World Golf Rankings is Tony Finau, so he'll be out there as well. Um, just a great field, limited field. Uh, we're not going to have any cuts this week, all right, with 39 players. So uh, assuming no withdrawals from the tournament, uh, and every 39 uh, all 39 players that start are going to finish all right and now the century tournament of champions is the first of the 17 events on the pga tours schedule that have uh, been recently designated as an elevated purse event all right so remember we had talked about this uh, a while back about how the pga tour uh, in their attempt to compete with the uh, live golf tour all right uh, and increase the money that the players win they increase the number of events that had elevated purses all right obviously the major championships and the world golf championships have bigger purses than regular tournaments but they did put some regular tournaments on there i say regular as in like non-major tournaments non-major championships and this uh, that brought the total to 17 total events on the schedule um 
that had an elevated purse, all right? This is the first of those 17 events, all right? And so that's that a lot of money on the line for this thing, and you got nothing but the best players uh, right now in the game of golf out there. And last year in this thing, uh, going back to that uh, low scoring, if there's no wind, we saw a record low score in this thing last year. Cameron Smith won the tournament last year with a 34 under par, all right? And um, it almost went into a playoff hole. John Rahm missed a putt uh, on the 18th hole there on Sunday, uh, 72nd hole of the tournament to send it to the playoff. Um, So we almost saw an even lower score. But um, prior to last year, all right, the previous two-century tournament of champions had gone into a playoff hole, all right? So it's been really... Uh, exciting golf, you know. I mean, uh, the the last year's almost went into a playoff, came down to essentially the final putt uh, before not going into a playoff, and then the previous two to that did go into a playoff. So you can expect uh, with the, the number of high-level players in this thing, the, the higher par, uh, this is certainly going to be some incredible golf we're about to watch this weekend. Um, there's, there's other sporting events on this weekend as well that, that will command attention, but uh, I will probably uh, watch this thing, or at least some of it, uh, maybe on Saturday and Sunday just to, just to kind of see how we're looking. But nonetheless, it is going to be a terrific weekend of golf, and we will check back in next week to see how it played out. But we'll move over to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports Uh, Not a huge segment this week, just have news from the NHL and Major League Baseball. So we'll start off in the NHL, and uh, fresh off the heels of this year's Winter Classic that we just talked about a little while ago, the NHL announced that the city of Seattle will be the host of the 2024 Winter Classic. It's going to be held at uh, T-Mobile Park. On January 1st of 2024, so next New Year's Day, the Winter Classic will be outdoors at T-Mobile Park in Seattle, all right, which is home to the MLB's Seattle Mariners, all right. Now, T-Mobile Park uh, is the 14th venue to host the Winter Classic in total and the 8th baseball stadium to do so, all right. Fenway Park has hosted it twice. Uh, that's the only venue that has, but um, yeah, 14th different venue. The NHL's Winter Classic started back in 08, so uh, this is the first time, obviously, it's coming to Seattle. Uh, Seattle's a brand new team as of last year, right? So this actually, uh, Seattle is going to be hosting the Vegas Golden Knights in this game. So it is a matchup of the NHL's two most recent expansion teams in Seattle and Vegas, so uh, pretty cool there. Um, Winter Classic's always fun to watch. Uh, I went to the one here in Dallas a couple years ago. Uh, just a terrific day. Uh, fun to be outside and watch hockey outdoors. So I know that T-Mobile Park will be packed there for that one. I personally have been to T-Mobile Park. I think it's a great venue. Uh, it has a retractable roof if it gets uh, to be you know, inclement weather. They can close it if they need to. I think they prefer to keep it open, obviously. But... Um, They'll have that option. Now, as a reminder, we do have another outdoor game this NHL season. 
It'll take place on February 18th. It's the 2023 Navy Federal Credit Union NHL Stadium Series game. It's going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina. The Carolina Hurricanes will host the Washington Capitals, right? So uh, just over a month away there on February 18th, we will have another outdoor game, but it is not uh, the Winter Classic. It's the Stadium Series. The Winter Classic is, the, I guess, the more prestigious of the two simply because that's the, the tradition there on New Year's Day usually. So... Um, that'll be very cool to see it there in Seattle. Can't wait to see the Kraken's jerseys whenever those get released because those will be uh, those will be really good. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball. We don't. Uh, we're still very heavy in the off season. Obviously, um, should be ramping up here for pitchers and catchers to report soon. Now that we're in January, spring training ought to be starting in uh, you know a few weeks, or a month or so. Um, but no notable trades to report. We did have a few free agent signings. Miami Marlins, they signed shortstop Gene Segura, two years, 17 mil. Uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, they signed veteran third baseman Evan Longoria to a one-year contract. That's a good signing for them. I mean, they're a young team, so to get a veteran presence in there, it'll be good for them. Milwaukee Brewers, they signed starting pitcher Wade Miley, one year, four and a half million. And then this is the interesting one, all right? The Boston Red Sox and third baseman Raphael Devers, all right? Originally, they agreed on a one-year, $17.5 million deal for this upcoming season in order to avoid salary arbitration. Now, when I saw that number, I thought that was insanely low uh, for Raphael Devers. He's been uh, he is one of the very best third basemen in the league, certainly on the offensive side with the bat. Uh, he is top 10 in every major offensive category for uh, the entire Major League Baseball over the last uh, three seasons. Um, I'm talking like batting average, home runs, RBIs, uh, extra base hits, slugging percentage, like those kind of stats. He's top 10 in Major League Baseball. Um, in all of those categories over the last three years. So um, he's, he's definitely an important player. So after they agreed, like I said, I met, that 17.5 mil seemed very low. Well, a couple days after, or maybe it was the next day, after that got agreed to, the Red Sox endeavors agreed to a new 11-year, $331 million contract extension, which puts him at $30 million per season, which is about what he should be making um, given his productivity thus far in his career. So um, Devers is staying in Boston on just a massive, massive extension. But uh, the other piece of baseball news I have for you um, is also regarding free agency. For those of you that have been keeping track of the free agent spending spree uh, at home, whether it's uh, been with uh, all the contracts I've gone over on the, the podcast or you've you've looked at it and seen articles about it. I came across this graphic about the top 10 spending teams so far this offseason. All right. Now, keep in mind that this is the numbers that I'm giving you are just the money that each of the teams have spent this offseason. All right. Just an insane amount of money by some of these teams. Uh, we'll count down from 10 to 1. Number 10, the Chicago White Sox at $87 million. Number 9, St. Louis Cardinals at $90 million. 
Number eight, the Houston Astros, the World Series champs. They've spent $105 million. Number seven, San Francisco Giants at $170 million. Number six, my Texas Rangers at $244 million. Number five, the Chicago Cubs at $294 million. Number four, the San Diego Padres at $354 million. Number three, the Philadelphia Phillies at $398 million. Number two, the New York Yankees at $584 million. And then the top spending team this offseason, to nobody's surprise, is the New York Mets at $808 million. That is almost a billion dollars, which is insane uh, when you're talking about um, contracts handed out. Uh, I mentioned Mets owner Stephen Cohen. Not sure where he's uh, getting this money printed off at, but uh, he is certainly doing that. Now, you'll notice out of those top five teams, the, uh, there's only one American League team. That's the Yankees. Two of the top three reside in the National League East. All right. So uh, it's going to be very competitive. Of course, the Padres are in there. They were in the NLCS last year against the Phillies. Those are th- teams three and four in the rankings. So uh, they're they're spending money trying to get better, trying to, um, you know, keep pace with really uh, the Mets who seemingly have uh, are trying to buy a World Series this year. But anyways, I just thought that was uh, an interesting graphic. But uh, that's all the info I got for you on this episode. Um, again, just um, an incredible week of sports with the, the college football bowl games and the, the shocker that we had there with TCU beating Michigan. We got a Frogs versus Dogs national title game that's coming up uh on Monday uh, before the next episode, so I I will certainly be watching that. Um, We got uh, some exciting NFL football. It's the last week of the regular season, so we'll know who the playoff teams are uh, this weekend. And then, um, you know, of course, the NHL and the NBA are are still rolling, and uh, that uh, PGA Tour uh, Century Tournament of Champions, that's also on this weekend. That'll certainly be worth watching if, if you're into golf. So, uh, great weekend in sports, and uh, again, just uh, want to reiterate, um, you know, as, as of this recording, there's been no real major updates regarding uh, Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin. He's still currently in the hospital in critical condition. Uh, might have some slight improvement based on some things that I've read, but um, either way, we still need to uh, keep him in our thoughts and prayers, him and his family, and uh, the Bills organization. So, Um, That being said, just enjoy this week of sports. It's going to be a good one, and we will check back in next week and uh, see how it all went down. We will have a national champion to talk about in college football as well. So until then, stay safe and be well. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.